This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight is ADHD and sleep. It's complicated. Part one. Yes, this is part one of a two-part series. And with us in our virtual studio is the Dr. Roberto Olivardio, one of our favorite guests who's so good at articulating complicated things and keeping it simple. Before we get into the show, we're celebrating Chad and their continued support of us by giving away uh, digital copies of Attention Magazine. If you're interested, just listen to our show. We're going to share a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show. Listen for the secret word. Write it down. Send us an email with both secret words. Email attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get that, we'll forward it off and get you a uh, PDF copy of the current version of the magazine, and we'll send you a PDF copy of the next one in print when it's done. Again, that's attention at attentiontalkradio.com. Got a little something here from Chad before we get into the show. We'll roll the tape and go from there. Sometimes marriages and partnerships experience conflict and unhappiness. Having a partner with undiagnosed or untreated ADHD can result in misunderstandings. Here are three tips that may help. Make sure you have an accurate diagnosis. Set up times to talk about your relationship. Avoid the blame game. And don't be afraid to seek counseling to strengthen your relationship. To learn more, visit chad.org. Thanks again, Chad, for your continued support of Attention Talk Radio. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage our listeners to become members of Chad for their great benefits, also to financially support them. They're the ones that are on Capitol Hill and dealing with different regulatory agencies to make sure that uh, uh, regs are written appropriately so those with ADHD get accommodation and, and things that we need in order to thrive. To learn more, go to chadd.org. Okay, our show tonight is on ADHD and sleep, a big issue for many people with ADHD, and it is complicated. This is part one. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what sleep is um, and kind of get into that a little bit so you can understand it. Uh, then we're going to also spend some time talking about sleep disorders. In part two, that will air next week, we're going to talk about uh, sleep hygiene, some of the challenges associated with that, and then uh, coaching, what we do to really try to help people to think about what they could do to make that happen. So uh, this, this, uh, these two shows were recorded together so that they were seamless and running into each other. So we were going to get it ready and just roll the tape. We hope you enjoy the show. Dr. Roberto Olivardio is a lecturer of psychology at Harvard Medical School. He maintains a private psychotherapy practice in Lexington, Massachusetts, where he specializes in the treatment of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, and obsessive compulsive disorder. He also um, specializes in the treatment of eating disorders in boys and men. He's the co-author of Andis Complex, a book which details the various um, manifestations of body image problems in men. He, he has presented at many talks and conferences around the country, including the CHAD Conference, the International Conference on ADHD. He sits on the Scientific Advisory Board of Attitude Magazine and the Professional Advisory Board of CHAD, ADA, and the uh, National Association of Males with Eating Disorder. Uh, you can reach him at his email address at roberto underscore olivardia at hms.harvard.edu. And with that, 
Dr. Olivardio, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Uh, you're always one of my favorites. You take complicated things and make them really, really, really simple, and I'm excited to do this series on sleep. And I guess to kind of kick things off, we have to ask the question, what is sleep? It's a great question. It's one of those things, you know, obviously we all do every single day and probably never think, you know, what, what actually is it. So biologically, it is um, a sort of recurring state of uh, a process that our mind and our body goes through that's characterized by a number of things. So it's characterized by our sensory activity being inhibited, our muscle activity being inhibited, um, during periods of dreams that we are engaging in something called rapid eye movement, sleep, our consciousness is altered. Um, and so there's a lot, it, what seems like these sort of surrendering kind of activities. At the same time, even though there is an inhibition of sensory and muscle and consciousness, it's a very active process. So within sleep, the reason that we have to sleep is that there are all of these processes that are happening that also are boosting our immune system, that are actually consolidating information in our brain uh, from the day that we had, um, is regulating our hormonal states and regulating mood states and basically getting us ready for the next day. So although we associate sleep with this kind of passive activity, it's actually quite an active one. Interesting. What came to mind when you said that, which is new to me, is it's kind of like the mind kind of rebooting. And I want to come back to that concept in a second because we did an interview years ago on Attention Talk video that was profound. You said, think of sleep as like defrag for the brain. And for all those millennials out there who haven't – not around for a long time, back in the old days, we used to have to get our computers to defrag. And basically, it's got – data all over the hard drive and you put it in a state where it just takes and finds everything and kind of organizes it, clumps it together so that when the computer's trying to find things, it can do it efficiently. And when you describe that to me, Dr. Olivardi, it really made a lot of sense because if I've got stuff scattered all over my brain, when I wake up in the morning, it's kind of a fog for me. Whereas it's like at night, we go through this rebooting and regeneration process for the next day. Am I oversimplifying that? Or is that a, a, just a nice way of kind of thinking about what the process is all about? No, it's definitely a, a good analogy for it. I mean, I think of it as, yeah, that's a defrag or for people who don't remember, you know, the process of disc defragmentation. Imagine that you have a room that has items that are kind of cluttered all over the room because during a day we're sort of going through stuff, going through stuff, and we don't always have time to organize that room. We just have to pull our clothes out of the drawers and take our pens out of the drawer. And at the end of the day, the room's kind of a mess. The pens might be in the closet and the clothes might be on the floor. And when we're sleeping, what it does is our brain is putting the clothes in the closet, putting the pens in the drawers so that the next morning there's more of the sense of kind of organization in, in our brain, which is why a lot of times, and this is especially true for people with ADHD, as is certainly was in my case, where pulling all-nighters uh, to study for an exam is actually one of the worst things that you can do because one of, or rather I should say one of the best things you can do in preparing for an exam is to get a good night's sleep because when you study material beforehand and you get a good night's sleep, your brain is actually consolidating and organizing that information in such a way that makes it more easily accessible and more efficient in terms of your ability to retrieve it than it would when we stay up all night. Wow. I, I love the way you, you, you kind of frame that out. Um, 
at the end of the day, this is an active process. So is sleep actually an executive function? Well, I would say that to maintain sleep and to have a proper sleep schedule, sleep hygiene is an executive function. And sleep absolutely can impair, if we, or sleep deprivation can impair okay. our executive functions, and proper sleep can absolutely boost our executive functions. Got it. Got However, it. you know, in my opinion, and I've heard this from other ADHD experts, that I think sleep issues should be almost a diagnostic criteria for ADHD because it is so, so vastly common in people with ADHD. In fact, I mean, I, Jeff, I don't know anyone, honestly, with ADHD that doesn't have some issue or problem with sleep. You know, some, I would kind of agree with you, but there's a lot of people that exercise a lot. Because I, as I describe it, we're going to talk about this in a second. A lot of people with ADHD, they have a hard time surrendering themselves to sleep. So I find that they either just pass out out of exhaustion or they exercise really hard and they're able to fall asleep. And they do that for a period of time. And then later in life, when they can no longer exercise at that level, then sleep issues arise and they think it just started. And my sense is the intense exercise did something to kind of mask it for a period of time. So that's just my experience. But it, Thoughts on that? I mean, I know for myself, I work out in the night, um, and I work out at this 24-hour gym, and I am I could have a good run at 10 o'clock at night, and I will sleep better that night. Yep. Whereas yep. for other people, that might activate them and have them not go to sleep. Yep. I'm quite the opposite. Um, so that is a coping mechanism. That is sort of a way that we're helping, you know, our our health in general, but also our sleep hygiene. Yep. So if I if I didn't do that, and it's, it is very difficult to slow down the mind. And I think a lot of times, even when I ask patients, you know, do you have a hard time falling asleep? We have to be more specific with people with ADHD, because if you had asked me that when I was younger, I'd be like, no, I don't have a problem. My head hits the pillow. I fall asleep. But that could be because I'm going to bed at three in the morning and I'm yep. just so exhausted that, of course, my head hits the pillow yep. and I fall asleep. Um, so I don't have trouble sleeping, but it's because I'm not sleeping enough. Yep. <laughs> with sleep, there's so many there's so many facets and dimensions, even in our assessment of it. And I think for a lot of people with ADHD, those sleep issues can sometimes be underdiagnosed because whether it's that question or whether people say, oh, how many hours of sleep do you get? And if someone says, oh, I get seven hours of sleep, then that may be, but maybe those seven hours or they're going to bed at 4 a.m. because they're on video games and YouTube and waking up at 11. And that quality of sleep is different than the quality of sleep we get when the night, when the sun is down. Absolutely, absolutely. Tell you what, I want to go to break. Um, when we come back, I want to talk about the, the process of going to sleep and really emphasize of this notion of surrendering the body and mind to that because I want to relay in the foundation for a lot of other things that we're kind of covering in sleep. For those that are interested in the Attention Magazine, our secret word tonight is part one. Again, our secret word is part one. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Do you worry when your child is left out? Does your child have trouble making and keeping friends? Life skills can be challenging for ADHD kids. Learn how you can be your child's greatest ally by reading the book Ned Hollowell described as a game changer. Michelle Borba referred to as the ultimate guide for parents. And Michael Thompson praised as the groundbreaking book you've been waiting for. Go to playbetterplan.com to buy a copy of Caroline McGuire's book, Why Will No One Play With Me? While you're there, 
Subscribe to download her free mini-course on developing social skills for children. That's playbetterplan.com. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. The average annual cost of attending college starts around $25,000. Students who have ADHD are at high risk of dropping out because they haven't learned the critical skills they need to succeed in school. Protect your investment with an EDGE Foundation coach, specifically trained to help students with ADHD and executive function challenge make the transition from high school to college. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more or call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE to get your free college success guide. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by DigCoachings.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Roberto Olivardia, and we are breaking down sleep um, and understanding the details so you can actually manage it. Uh, this is a two-part series. Uh, before the break, we're to really talk about what is sleep and, and what happens during sleep. Right now, Dr. Oliver, I want to shift gears. It's, I want to talk about that process of going to sleep, and I think I've heard you or seen you write somewhere that it's the, a process where the body surrenders itself both yeah. the mind and the body to sleep. Can you talk to us about that for a little bit? Sure. The, you know, what makes it very difficult for people with ADHD in terms of going to sleep is, and this is where executive functions play a part, is we need to transition from stopping an activity, whatever it is that we're doing before we fall asleep. We need to also in some ways have some pre-planning around when we change into our sleeping clothes and when we, you know, start dimming the lights and, you know, when we start brushing our teeth and doing all of those habits we do before falling asleep. So there's all of these steps and then physically getting into bed. And then there's the sort of not making sure that our mind is not going in a million different directions. And so really just kind of being grounded and being mindful to just either thinking about something that's not so stimulating that it's going to keep you awake and just focusing on basically, yeah, like surrendering. I mean, it is, Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that I think is so, it's certainly so easy for a lot of people, but as someone with ADHD and and major, a lot of sleep issues and sleep disorders, it's almost a mystery to me. And, And I think part of it is that I, I think all the time about, you know, what else could be done in the day. Um, the nighttime also can be a time for many people with ADHD where they're finally uh, not distracted by something, where the world is asleep, no one's going to be asking them any questions, and there's this silence, and it's almost meditative to be in a dark bedroom, and now you're starting to think, but now you're not supposed to be thinking. You're supposed to be just <laughs> slipping into slumber, um, and so it is, it's a tough thing because it really does require a lot of executive functioning to make that happen. 
And and I we've we've interviewed Dr. Russell Barkley a couple bunch of times, and I've uh, he's, I'm a big fan of his. He talks about ADHD as really an, an executive function issue, but he really defines it very much as a self regulation issue, directing an action back yeah. on yourself to change your behavior to change the future. And as I describe it, it's or as he describes it, it's using your thinking brain to override your primitive brain that wants stimulation and excitement. We've also done some shows mm-hmm. before where we're talking about um, boredom, specifically agitated boredom, which is defined as the physical discomfort where you're motivated to escape the plight. Or as I describe it, you're physically uncomfortable and you'll do anything to get comfortable again. Think about being really, really cold, like 10 below. You're going to do whatever you can to get warm, even if it's breaking into somebody's house, if that's if that bad. And so, Dr. Olivari, I always like frame it out in these things when I'm, I'm working with people with ADHD is when it's time to go to bed, I understand you should expect it should take 15 to 20 minutes for your body to surrender itself once you're in bed and lying down. But as I described, the time you put your head on the pillow till you fall asleep is the most boring time of the day. And in the context of boredom, you're physically uncomfortable and they leap up. And try to go find something that's stimulating, whether it's screen time or re- – I've coached people, a, a retired dentist one time would do calculus problems at night or people reading um, macroeconomics or watching Martyr Marvels. It's exciting, and so they, they, they don't have the self-regulation, the ability to stop and calm their mind down, so it's 3 o'clock in the morning before they pass out. In that context, we talk about the same thing. Does that make – I mean, is that a good way of, of, of describing the, ch- the the practical challenge for somebody with ADHD? It's like you physically are uncomfortable and you just can't stay down long enough to fall asleep. Thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, I think you said it very well. And I, um, yeah, you know, what Russ Barkley, Russell Barkley, has contributed to the ADHD world is, is unbelievable. And so I 100% um, and I'm bored with that that theory and, and just that experience, because that's what it feels like. I mean, when you're going to bed, that it is just the state of boredom, there's nothing happening. And that's really tough for a lot of people with ADD. And so it's, it's so it's such a natural state to want something to happen. And so yep. whether that's I want something to happen, so I'm going to get out of bed and do calculus problems or watch Netflix or something, or if something's going to happen, it's going to happen in my head. I mean, I sometimes, you know, will think about, just, I mean, it literally could be anything that could come into my mind. Sometimes it's something I'm anxious about. Sometimes it's something I'm excited about. Sometimes it's something that I am creatively problem solving and very, and don't want to go to bed because I'm in the midst of that. So that is something that we have to be aware of is we are overriding this natural part of our ADHD brain that is constantly craving stimulation and sleep is not in and of itself is not stimulating. However, when we get proper amounts of sleep, we are better setting up our brain to get the proper levels of stimulation and, you know, and helping with those ADHD symptoms. Because sleep deprivation just exacerbates all of our ADHD symptoms. Um, yeah. But that's exactly right. Our bodies are just always looking for that stimulation. And so I, I, want to, I want to slow down in this, this part of the show because I think this is the epicenter of the challenge of ADHD is to lay down and be bored is like pacing the cage and you're physically uncomfortable. And I did a, some shows, some YouTube videos on forging for information. We used to forge for food because it's pleasurable. Now I find a lot of pe- people with ADHD get on the internet, they forge for information because it's pleasurable. So you have that alternative of sitting there with that physical anxiety of pacing the cage or the satisfaction of forging for information, doing some stuff. 
And that willpower to make that happen is exceptionally difficult. And I really want to emphasize my, my mother taught me, and I've said this on the show before, never minimize how hard something is because if you do, you're not giving it the respect that it deserves. And I think this is the epicenter. Mm-hmm. It's very hard with people with ADHD to succumb to that pleasurable act in that moment to, to, to be somewhat bored. And we'll, we're going to talk about this later about from a coaching perspective, how, how we manage this in the space. But I think this is the really the, where the tire hits the road. And again, this is downright hard because it does require some level of mindfulness and consciousness to adjust the room or adjust the settings in order for you, or even to remove the temptations of everything that's exciting in order for you to kind of calm down. So from your perspective, Dr. Oliver, am I overemphasize how hard this is, or is this realistic? Oh, it's extremely realistic. And, and something that for you know, listeners out there who have ADD will hear that and hopefully feel validated because it is a, for so many people, it is such an easy process to just transition to sleep, um, to wake up in the morning. And, you know, I, I tell my patients a lot of times the greatest challenges with ADHD is going from a vertical position to a horizontal position and then from a horizontal position to a vertical one in the morning. <laughs> that, that transition of sleep, of wake to sleep and sleep to wake are just, they can be profound, and it is because it requires so much more work than we think it is. And, you know, one of the things, Jeff, is, and this is something that I really empathize with this generation and even, you know, my, my own kids who are 14 and 12, that I didn't grow up with the Internet. I didn't grow up with YouTube. I didn't grow up with Netflix or any of that. I can't imagine how difficult that would have been to when knowing that I could have that level of stimulation of going on YouTube and looking at concert videos of my favorite rock stars and, you know, watching stand-up comedy on Netflix. And there was really nothing to do. You know, when I was a kid, my parents didn't even get cable until the, literally they got cable the day I went to college, which didn't make me happy at the time, but it was probably <laughs> the best thing for me. Um, but at 11 o'clock, there was nothing on TV except the news. So it's like, and there was no internet. I, I was like, okay, I guess there's nothing else to do. I mean, um, and so what we have to understand, especially as parents who are raising kids, is that they're in a culture where there is constant stimulation. They could go on a video game at 2 in the morning, and there's someone around the world that they can be talking to. And just knowing that that's there for them makes it that much harder for them to sort of slow their brain down. And that's why it's super important, especially – you know, and I tell even young kids that the importance of having some time between, you know, whatever stimulating activity that you're doing and giving your brain time to basically transition to sleep. Because for an ADD brain, if you're going from video games or high stimulation to, okay, I'm going to shut that off and now I'm expecting to go to sleep, your brain experiences that as like yep. a major withdrawal symptom. Like it's just like, it's almost like giving candy to a kid and saying, here, take a lick of the lollipop. Okay. Now I'm taking it away from you. And that's not, you know, we need to really prepare our brains for that. See, so we, we did a three part series a while ago on ADHD screen addiction with, um, Cliff, Dr. Clifford Sussman, and uh, it was interesting because we talked about the biology of dopamine, and we talked about the game Candy Crush and how it was designed to be addictive, mm. and then we talked about treatment, and I've talked to parents about this before, is that if you're going to take cell phone and video games away from your kids, you have to realize that 
you got to get ready for the craziness because there's going to be a agitation when you take that away because they're physically uncomfortable. It's like a withdrawal type period that you're doing that. And I share that with you in this context, Dr. Olivardia, because I've heard is that if you start staying up late and your, your circadian rhythm gets completely off, the best way to reset it is to go camping for two weeks with no alarms and no video guns and nothing. And I've said that before to people with ADHD, and you could just hear the fur on the back of their neck stand on end, the thought of being <laughs> able to wait for two weeks with nothing stimulation. I mean, they're not even in that experience, but mentally you can, I mean, you can feel the agitation in the silence of their stuff. And so, again, everybody, this is not difficult stuff. Um, I want to go to a break. When we come back, I want to transition a little bit. I want to do, do talk about there are sleep conditions out there over and above ADHD that can be an impact here. So um, for our, our listeners, our secret word tonight is part one. Our secret uh, word is part one. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, TimeTimer's bright red disc disappears. Visit TimeTimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. You can't go off to college with them, but we can. Visit EdgeFoundation.org to learn more how an Edge coach can help your student reach their full potential. You can also call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE and get a free college success guide. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with one of my favorites, Dr. Roberto Olivardi, having a conversation about sleep. Part one today, we talked about what is sleep, what's going on. Part two is surrendering uh, to sleep. Very difficult for people with ADHD. Um, We're going to cover more material in part part two of this series, um, particularly uh, sleep hygiene and coaching. But to kind of round out this show, Dr. Olivardi, I want to talk about uh, there are some sleep disorders out there that even make this worse. And I've heard them kind of put into two buckets. One is a physical condition. And I've heard other people just talk about behavioral conditions, which I'm not so sure that I understand. But first, can you talk about the physical conditions that are, are legitimate disorders that can disrupt sleep? So if you are having some difficulty, you might go to a physician and say, is there something else going on here? Because if you've got sleep apnea or something, you certainly want to treat that. Sure. So just in general, I guess even before the clinical piece is understanding that there's a a really well done body of research looking at sleep issues and sleep disorders in people with ADHD. And they find that um, in general that people with ADHD do report difficulty falling asleep. Um, Sometimes if they do get tired, they find themselves getting tired later in the day, have difficulty waking up. 
um, having issues with sleep talking, sleepwalking, teeth grinding, or what we call bruxism, uh, bedwetting that uh, kids with ADHD are more likely to be wetting the bed later on because their their sort of regulation of alertness um, isn't in sync uh, with their bodies. Um, but in terms of sleep disorders that people with ADHD, and studies have shown this too from samples all around the world when they look at this, are more likely to struggle with a number of different sleep disorders. So we have uh, something, uh, for example, like sleep apnea, which is a very common one, or obstructive sleep apnea, which basically is when your body is not getting the oxygen that it needs. Now, sometimes it can be related to weight. So people who are overweight are more at risk for sleep apnea because basically their airways um, might be sort of blocked either by body fat or um, by you know their anatomy. And then sometimes it's just purely anatomical. Um, so I've, I've shared in, in previous articles and webinars, I have pretty severe sleep apnea. And in my case, I had uh, a deviated septum in my nose, which only allowed 30% oxygen, and my throat was getting 0%. And so when I got a sleep study, you need what they call 20 events, which is characterized by either where you're not breathing for a moment, or you're breathing in uh, such a way that your oxygen levels are, are not saturated, like it's very, very low oxygen. You need 20 of those within an hour to be diagnosed with sleep apnea. And when I had a sleep study, I had 98 in an hour. <laughs> wow. Which was, <laughs> and I, I said to the sleep doctor, well, I can be an overachiever. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> because she thought she had never seen that before. She said the highest she had seen was 68. But if this is why, I mean, my whole life up until that point, I had never woken up feeling refreshed from a sleep ever. I didn't understand what that meant when people said, oh, I had a mm -hmm. great sleep. I'm like, mm. I was a really terrible snorer, which is one of the biggest symptoms of sleep apnea. If anyone, if you or anyone in your life is snoring so loud that they sound like an electric, you know, drill, or you need to get out of the bedroom or kick them out of the bedroom, that person should absolutely be getting a sleep study because it's very likely that they have sleep apnea. And what's important about understanding that is that, you know, not getting a good night's sleep is associated with many, many health problems, but with obstructive sleep apnea, and in my case, I was in my early 30s when I got diagnosed that the doctor, I had to go, it was so severe that I had to have these cardiac tests done to ensure that there wasn't damage to my heart because as you wow. get older and that happens because the breathing is so dysregulated. My doctor said it was almost like I was breathing through a straw underneath the ocean. Like, wow. that's, like she said, that's what my, and my, and your heart's trying to pump, 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 pump to give you as much oxygen. So luckily my heart was fine because I'm otherwise a very healthy guy and thankfully, but she said it would have been the kind of thing that even healthy people who have undiagnosed sleep apnea, that you could have had a heart attack in your sleep in your early 50s, which is not that far from where I am today. Yep. Um, I'm almost 50. Um, that, and people would have been wondering, how, how does that happen? And there are many people who have sleep apnea, and it's, treat, and it's very treatable. I have to sleep, though, with a, something called a CPAP, continuous um, positive airway pressure machine. It looks like a combination of Hannibal Lecter and an elephant. I mean, when uh -huh. I put on this machine, but Jeff, I cannot tell you how dramatically 
different. I mean, the first night it was just undeniable because wow. you're getting pressurized air. And I did have my deviated septum fixed in my nose. So I'm now, even just during the daytime, breathing better during, because I used to have sinusitis. I used to have all these, wow. you know, and, and looking back in my life, I had major ear infections when I was a kid. So my whole ear, nose, and throat irrigation yeah. system was just completely dysregulated. Wow. So a lot of people with ADD don't, aren't compliant with the CPAP. You do have to clean it, you know, every yep. week. You have to maintain it. You have to travel with it, but it is, it's a lifesaver. So that's, that's a very, very common. And with sleep apnea, a lot of people don't even realize they have it. I never heard myself snoring because I'm snoring. Yep. It's the people around me that would say, oh, my gosh, you know, you're snoring really loudly. Yep. So sleep apnea is definitely one of them. Um, another one called restless leg syndrome, which is characterized by motor activity of the leg, these legs, these sort of like jerking motions where it almost looks like somebody's like kind of having a convulsion or, or it could look like they're kind of breakdancing in their sleep. Um, about 25% of the ADHD population uh, struggles with restless leg. Um, and we think of it basically as, again, you know, I almost conceptualize it as the ADHD body is just still looking for stimulation. It's just having a hard time really kind of calming itself down. Um, narcolepsy, which is characterized by people who have sudden attacks of sleepiness, usually um, under situations in which they feel emotionally aroused, um, that that could happen. However, with ADHD, we, we see something, almost a variation of narcolepsy, and is one that has been called a primary disorder of vigilance, which refers to, and this was definitely the case for me when I was in school growing up, if I was interested, I was totally awake and alert. I, I could be the star student of the class. I could participate. I was very verbal. But if I was bored in that class or if the teacher was not engaging and I didn't act out by being a class clown, which I was in some of my classes, it, I would immediately fall asleep. Like I, it could, I could have gotten 10 hours sleep the night before. I could have been totally energetic the class before. But in that moment, if I'm not getting the stimulation, I would literally, like, when I say fall asleep, like drooling down my face, fall asleep. Like, it was, un <laughs> it was <laughs> thank goodness, thank goodness there weren't iPhones back then because my friend had a field day with the pictures. Um, but it was uncontrollable. I mean, it was, I could, could I, I was like, I would literally give my, I mean, this sounds very odd, but maybe the people out there with ADHD will understand. I used to give myself toe cramps like cramp my toes on purpose for the purpose of just keeping myself awake because it would be so <laughs> painful and stimulating because I could not. And when I read about that, I was like, that makes total sense. So for people wow. with ADD, even when they get ample amounts of sleep, so sometimes this isn't even an issue of how much sleep they're getting. It's regulating their attention and sleep during the day, basically. Um, but things like sleep talking, I was a sleep talker. I was a sleepwalker. I grind my teeth. I have to wear a night guard um, to when I go to sleep. Um, and then there's something called sleep paralysis, which if, if people don't know about is a incredibly scary phenomenon. So what happens when we sleep is when we're in REM sleep, which is our where we primarily dream, although we can dream in other stages of sleep, but mainly in REM is where we're dreaming. Our bodies actually become paralyzed. Like our motor function completely gets depressed. And evolutionary biologists wonder if this is a way of sort of, so we're not acting out our dreams. 
And so our motor function is paralyzed. So let's say if, if we're w- woken up in the middle of a dream, which usually in the morning time, if we've had adequate amounts of sleep, we're pretty much going to be reming a lot. So that's why a lot of people when they wake up are like, oh, I was just in the middle of a dream. Well, most likely that's going to be the case. So what happens that when we wake up is our consciousness awakens, and at the same time, those motor functions now aren't suppressed anymore. So it's almost like those two switches are going off at the same time. Mm -hmm. What happens with sleep paralysis, and this is something I had at least on a monthly basis until I was probably like 16, 17, and now this probably happens to me twice a year. What happens with sleep paralysis is your consciousness switch goes off. So now you're totally awake, and you know you're not dreaming, but your body is still paralyzed. You are completely paralyzed. And, Jeff, it is the freakiest thing. And your eyes, wow. you can only move your eyes, and you cannot move. And you're aware of it. You're aware of, wow. oh, my gosh, I can't move. Your upper chest feels like somebody is almost sitting on it, like you can't even breathe, like, deeply. Wow. And it's often coupled with something called a hypnagogic hallucination. And I have this only, um, well, twice, but one that I really clearly remember. And what people – And this was something also just to backtrack that I didn't even know was a thing until I was in graduate school and I met uh, one of my classmates in in the program, my doctoral program. Her dissertation was studying people who claimed to be abducted by aliens. And I thought, oh, that's really fascinating. And what are you finding? And, And she said, oh, one of the things that a lot of these people have in common is that they have sleep paralysis. And I said, what's that? Wow. And she goes on to explain, and I have chills in the back of my neck. And I think, oh, my gosh, I have struggled with that my whole life. And wow. so these hypnagogic hallucinations are universally, for people who have them, always characterized by a very malevolent feeling, a malevolent presence that you see. And he sounds psychotic. This is not psychosis. This is not substance uh-huh. abuse related. Yeah. Like that. And when I was in college once, um, I woke up in the middle of the night from, and, and it was, I must have been in the middle of a dream. So I'm awake, can't move my body. And at the foot of my bed, I could have sworn that it was, it looked like a man, the outline of a man wearing a black trench coat. And wow. the feeling is I can't move, I can't breathe. This is a very ominous, malevolent figure. And suddenly that paralysis, which feels like it's five minutes, but it's probably like 40 seconds. It's, it's not really as long. But when you can't move, like every second, yeah. like an eternity, my body Absolutely. sort of like then pop, pops up and I ran out of the room and the campus security phone happened to be right outside my room. And I called campus security. I said, somebody's in my room. Wow. And then as they're coming, I think, wait a minute, I had to unlock my door to get out and my windows closed. How could someone be in my room? And I went back in there and of course nobody was there and I called them and they probably thought I was drunk or high or something. And, and I thought, what was that? Like I had never experienced that. Yeah. And then when I met this classmate who described this phenomenon and I thought, oh, my gosh. And I said, thank God that that part only happened to me really once. All the other times it was just the paralysis. But people with ADHD are prone to to that. Um, We see circadian abnormalities. So there's something called a delayed sleep phase syndrome, which also was found in my sleep study. And that is basically we have circadian rhythms that regulate and tell our brain when the sun goes down, it's time to go to sleep. For a lot of people with ADHD, they may have, 
uh, delayed sleep phase syndrome where their brain actually gets a surge of energy at about 10 o'clock at night, and then they're not tired until about 2 in the morning. And that's what they found in my sleep study is I have a delayed sleep phase syndrome. So I have to wow. – I. And that was so validating to me because it showed I do have to work harder than yep. other people do because my brain is just wired to go to bed later. So for sleep apnea, we have a CPAP. For restless leg syndrome, is there anything that you can do for that or is it really just awareness? Yeah, there, there are certain medications for it. I'm, I'm not um, – I don't have any patients that are taking medications for it, so I can't speak to how uh-huh. effective that they might be. I think a lot of it in general with just sleep hygiene and is okay. really managing your environment to make sleep something and your body want to be in bed to be asleep. Yep. Got it. And for the sleep paralysis, again, sleep hygiene and, and awareness on this? So with sleep paralysis, there's nothing that I can do um, that I've found that sort of can help prevent it. Now, for whatever reason, it dropped off. Like it, this was a monthly occurrence for me when I yep. was younger. What does help, though, is now I'm aware. I'm, I'm very aware of it. And when I wake yep. up, I say to myself, I'm not. Because when I was a kid, I thought I would be frozen forever. Like I thought I'm never going to be. I'm just maybe this is I'm yep. going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. And then I start to panic. And then the panic is just making it worse. So now it's almost like a mindfulness of, okay, this is going to just last for 30 seconds. And then I just try to work on my breathing and just get every breath I do a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, and then my body can start moving. And so, but um, I have read some research just looking at, you know, managing stress, like all the things that you would hear in general for anyone who has sleep issues, you know, making sure you're not stressed out, making sure. But I, when I was a kid, it was irregardless of whether I was stressed or anything, I would have, I would have these episodes. So another question is sleeping pills. They're prescribed mm-hmm. to help people with sleep. Kind of, is it just a generic type thing? Or uh, I've always kind of wondered about. It. I know a lot of people take sleeping pills, but is it just like, well, we don't know, so we'll just give them a sleeping pill? Or are you aware of anything on that? Yeah, yeah. So with sleeping pills, I mean, it's it's a tricky thing because we don't want to be using sleeping pills as sort of just this normal way that we go to sleep because when we take a sleeping pill. Yes, it's helping us, you know, and making us go to sleep, but it's not necessarily the same kind of quality of sleep that we're getting mm-hmm. when we sleep naturally. Now, having mm-hmm. said that, um, when we don't sleep, and, you know, certainly in periods of, uh, for people with depression, people with anxiety disorders and, and certain medical conditions, that um, your brain can get pretty psychotic if you don't get adequate you know, yep. amounts of sleep, especially if you're massively sleep deprived. So that's where those um, different medications and sleep um, things can be very, very helpful. Um, however, we want to make sure that people are using them for the right reasons yep. and that that's not the sort of first go-to, that we're really yep. trying to, at first, trying to have somebody um, increase their sleep hygiene. Absolutely. I will share this. It's interesting because in this space, sometimes I like to point out little things. We'll talk about like your bed when we get to sleep hygiene in the next episode. But for me as an athlete uh, who wore their body out, I remember when I was 44, I was talking to my doctor about having sleep problems and he, he knew me. And he goes, Jeff, you're just, your body, you've run, you've swam, you cycled so much. Your body's just inflamed. And he, he prescribed, I think it was Vioxx at the time. And which was an anti-inflammatory, and I swear, Dr. Olivar, it was like a sleeping pill for me because, as he said, 
there was this low, dull ache. And when I was running around during the day, I didn't notice it. But when I laid down at night, it was just kind of there. Uh, that particular medication they took off the market. And even now, sometimes I'll take some ibuprofen. And I, it's like, again, it's not a sleeping pill, but my, mm. my body sometimes is impact from the inflammation or the aches and pains that are there. So sometimes I think I'm just sharing this with people because sometimes this is not talked a lot about, uh, but that's there. Mm. And also talk about insomnia. It was described to me as insomnia is like the, a survival mechanism that the brain would kind of kick into in times of peril that would actually give you more time to think and plan for the kind of the next day. And when we get into that fight, flight, or freeze and that insomnia type thing, it seems to me, and I don't really know everybody, I'm not a doctor. Uh, maybe you can help us with this. Is those times maybe like Valium and those types of things are tr really trying to calm the brain down from that anxiety or that flight, flight, or freeze state so that the body can surrender itself. Yeah. Can you speak to that for a second? Am, am I misinformed on that? Yeah. Or? Okay. Yeah, so, um, and, and definitely I'm glad that you mentioned, because of course I, I forgot to mention insomnia, which is probably the most common um, issue you know, with sleep in terms of just the difficulty of falling asleep or, or you know, medically in terms of staying asleep. Sometimes people will wake up at 2 in the morning and they can't get back to sleep. And uh, so, yeah, so a lot of times when it is, related to anxiety, to depression, that um, there are medications that help, you know, treat that, that enable people to be able to, you know, get to sleep. And again, when it's work with your doctor and prescribing that, um, and that could be really helpful because again, if you're not sleeping, that's not going to be good um, at yep. all. So I think it's, it's one of those things is just making sure um, that you're also working on the other, the behavioral yep. you know, pieces um, Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. So um, I want to pull this together. Everybody, again, today we talked about what is sleep. We talked about that real issue of surrendering your body to sleep, and, and we've kind of covered kind of this um, sleeping conditions right now. The, our next show, we're going to get into really uh, sleep hygiene and kind of coaching around this. Um, there's lots of other little nuances and details that we haven't really covered here, but I think we've really kind of captured the, the bigger context and the things that are there. Before we wrap up, any last thoughts or any last uh, insights on this space that we've talked about before we close the show down? Um, no, I think we covered it pretty well. And I think, you know, for people to just be, in general, what I hope people hear from this is just being mindful of their sleep. You know, I think in, in uh, for a lot of people with ADHD, they sort of can see sleep as an inconvenience and sort of as disposable and the thing that they can easily sacrifice when doing other things. And just to be very mindful of how do they sleep? How many hours do they sleep? Do they notice these symptoms that we've talked about with them um, and really develop an, an awareness around it? And we're going to, everybody, we're going to spend a lot of time in our next show talking about exactly what sleep hygiene is, some of the challenges to implement sleep hygiene with those with ADHD, and we'll talk about some of the things that I do that I found kind of effective with that. So, everyone, our secret word tonight, again, is part one. And uh, Dr. Olivaria, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure, absolutely. Always a pleasure, Jeff. All right, everybody, that's part one. Part two is uh, next week. We're going to be airing that. Um, you listen to this and you've enjoyed it and that next part is really really important we hope you've enjoyed this edition of attention talk radio take care <laughs>